Alex Mosad, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech monopolies. We continue to see the uh, just blatant disregard for any sense of what's right in America and the American value system by big tech just encroaching upon uh, our civil liberties with complete disregard for (laughs) um, any sense of what's right and wrong. And as we have seen with their earnings, I was just on Bloomberg this week uh, talking about basically, you know, the, the big tech monopolies earnings. And what you saw is you saw companies like Snapchat, you saw uh, them get crushed from $16 a share to 10 because, you know, their growth is slowing, they're losing more money. And what you're seeing, though, is you're seeing in a time of recession, we called it, by the way, July 1st, put out a video, we're officially in a recession. What is happening with this? Just uh, it's like a it's like a psyop, right? Aren't the droids you're looking for? These aren't the droids we're looking for. There is no recession. Recession doesn't mean two consecutive quarters of contraction in the economy. Look at the labor market, says Jay Powell. Uh, we're hiring all these people in the labor markets, right? The labor markets are tight. Recession? What recession? I mean, I mean, technically, yes, people have considered recession to be two consecutive orders of contraction, but but there's no actual literal definition. I mean, what world are we living in, right? The majority of Americans are not stormtroopers, right? The majority of Americans are like, yeah, this is a load of BS and it's just kind of politics as usual. The problem with that is these people are making decisions which which influences and directly impacts the well-being of tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of Americans, frankly, the globe. And so when the BS and the politics and the spin make its way into very important decisions that will actually impact people's day-to-day livelihoods, that's a problem. And the tech monopolies are a big reason why this mania is actually able to persist, right? What you're seeing is despite the tech monopoly manipulation, uh, attempted manipulation of how people think, it's not working. Americans are smart. They can see through this, right? Obi-Wan, your tricks aren't working on us. Um, We know it's a recession. We know inflation wasn't transitory, right? Like this is, this is just, just ridiculous at this point, right? We know these are the droids we're looking for. But without the power and the, it's not just complicit nature of the tech monopolies, right? There's this image floating around the internet showing on Facebook or on Instagram, right? That the platform is actually flagging and doing their truth check on people saying and on people critiquing uh, how... Our government and Federal Reserve officials are trying to spin uh, what we all know as a recession and then flagging that. Right. And saying, oh, well, this isn't actually truthful. They're setting the, you know, the thought police, the fact checkers um, out on people's posts. Right. So this is all it's frightening, frankly. Right. Like you have big tech. Big government in cahoots, media, 
They're all in cahoots. Who would have thought 2022, right? That you'd be seeing that. I do think without big tech going along with it, you can't complete the circle, right? If it's just like media and big government um, pulling these shenanigans, trying to pull an Obi-Wan, you know, on people that aren't stormtroopers, I don't think it flies. I don't, I don't think it is working, but you know, maybe, maybe they don't even have the audacity to try and pull these shenanigans if they know that big tech is, is not going to not just turn a blind eye, but actively enable and actively push the propaganda. It is phenomenally inappropriate and shocking that that is the state of affairs in the United States. And it's untenable. It's completely inappropriate. We shouldn't stand for it. One of the many travesties that big tech actively participates in against its users Despite all of that, you look at their earnings, you look at their stock, they're doing great on a relative basis, right? Versus their smaller tech competitors, like a Snapchat. Um, Snapchat doesn't have the ability to actively wage, you know, thought police war against its users in the way that Facebook and Google can, right? But Snapchat's getting destroyed in the markets. Their growth is down. TikTok's beating them up. Instagram's beating them up. And the tech monopolies, by and large, on a relative basis, are doing very well, right? Which, again, just goes to show you the power of these platform business models at scale, at monopolistic scale. Um, and despite all the stuff, Congress, you know, hemming and hawing, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, right? What materially have you seen happen to big tech? Meh. The only, honestly, self, the only pain we've actually seen successfully endured by big tech is, is actually done by themselves. It's their own hand tying to engage in material tech M&A, right? They have kind of tied their own hands out of concern for what the public, the media, you know, and, and regulators would do um, if they engaged in more serious tech M&A. And, and, and regulators have, I guess, tried to slow up the, um, you know, the, the Giphy, the $400 million Giphy acquisition by Facebook, right? And so little things. Side of that, man, you know, um, they are just trudging along. What does that all say? We got more work to do. There is some news. Amazon has been slashing private label selection amid week sales. Executives also have discussed exiting the business entirely to address regulatory pressure, right? If their private label selection was not experiencing week sales, would you still have the executives considering to eject the business to placate lawmakers? Probably not. Then at the same time, you got Amazon out here buying One Medical, which is a kind of more innovative, progressive, primary care network of clinics for you know, over $3 billion, one of their largest tech acquisitions. So going into a highly regulated, uh, you know, critical industry of healthcare and just deepening their tentacles into, into, into that industry. So you say, well, yeah, I don't know, you know, is Amazon actually scared of doing material M&A to grow their business? Well, I don't know. They just spent $3.6 billion on one medical. So maybe not. And oh, yeah, look, they're trying to placate lawmakers. 
and and could exit Amazon Basics. But oh oh yeah, that that business unit's suffering and actually isn't doing as well as they had hoped. Hmm. Okay. So do we actually have Amazon on its heels, or are they just continuing to outsmart all of us at every step of the way? Probably a mixture of both. Uh, but frankly, frankly. I'm leaning in the direction of Amazon's just outsmarting us once again, right? Um, kind of like a magician. Look over here, and then I'm going to go do this thing over there, right? I mean, this one medical deal, it, honestly, it's great. Here's why. You say, oh, well, you know, they're buying, uh, they're buying like, a, like a traditional primary care like health system. What's exciting about that? Tell you what's exciting about that is one medical has built its own proprietary tech stack. That was really the magic sauce of one medical. And that's why. So, you know, they kind of made a big splash in, in, in the in the Silicon Valley crowd, very a, a tech enabled healthcare experience, which is bringing a more kind of integrated, holistic view and 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 delivery model of healthcare, right? You know, what's what's the what's a lot of people's biggest critique of healthcare is it's so fragmented. You know, I gotta I gotta go to my primary care doc, and then and then I gotta go see this specialist, and then it takes me like three months to schedule with the specialist, and then the specialist doesn't talk to the primary care doc, and then and then I gotta go back to the primary care doc, and now six months later I'm nowhere, right? Um, ugh. And, uh, and however many thousands of dollars you're out of pocket and then insurance and this and that, right? It's just so many disparate parties that don't talk together, that aren't coordinating together and just take so much time. And if you actually really have a, a true health problem, that time is, is a game changer, right? The, your speed to properly identify an issue and then get on top of it, really figure out what's going on and then try and fix it. Could, could be the difference between life and death, literally, right? So big problem. One medical, hey, how can we build our own tech stack, solve this problem, um, you know, by bringing together these disparate parties and unifying all the data flow and all this stuff, right? That to me is the real underlying value of one medical. Yes, they've got the physical presence now. Um, Andy Jassy was at, you know, an internal kind of like Amazon all hands Q&A they asked him what he's most excited about healthcare. Remember, Amazon was doing the JV with Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan. They blew $100 million on that in three years. We had that on the show, predicted it was going to fail. Why? Um, because what they should have done is just gone and said, we want to go buy this company and we'll split the bill three ways. Um, but they were trying to build from scratch. I mean, I mean, I. We did. We told you on the show, like, that's not going to work. You have three of the biggest companies in the world. You can't go build this thing from scratch. Just buy it, right? They've got literally infinite money. But they wanted to build it because they know better and da-da-da-da-da. Well, you know, where are they? Out of a job. Anyway, back to Amazon Healthcare One Medical. Um, Andy Jassy responds to you know, this employee question and says, Amazon Care. thing he's most excited about in what Amazon's doing with healthcare, right? Not the uh, pill pack, which they bought, not medical supply marketplace and all this stuff they're doing, could be doing on the procurement side, right? Amazon Care. What is Amazon Care? It's basically their like hybrid telemedicine, but also on-demand service, like a doc or a nurse will come to your home 
And then they'll also do a bunch of telemedicine to bridge the gap in between needing to see you in person, right? So that kind of on-demand healthcare point solution uh, with telemedicine woven into it, right? So now that gets pretty interesting. You take, you take the primary care presence uh, that one medical has, you take their proprietary tech stack, which one medical has, you layer in then Amazon's existing ability for you know on-demand, more specialist services, their telemedicine infrastructure. And you say, hmm, you know, this kind of looks pretty interesting. Plus then, I think this is the other thing people aren't talking about, which if you look at like the big three, um, Amerisource Bergen, Cardinal Health, medical supply distributors, you could call them B2B distributors, but they're also what you call a PBM, pharmacy benefit manager. And so that basically is a fancy word for being a distributor for drugs. March, 2018, Cigna, big health insurance provider, um, I think they're really big with like Medicare and Medicaid and that stuff, right? Buys Express Scripts, which is one of the big PBMs. The PBMs, I know, we've, we did another video on this. If you want to go see the ins and outs of the PBM stuff, we did a great video um, with this guy named D.A. Wallach. Very cool entrepreneur. He does biotech investing. Guy understands this really, really well. So if you want the ins and outs of PBMs, and the nitty gritty, go check out that interview with DA. Uh, we did that a few years ago. Great, great interview. Um, but anyway, long story short, you can't just distribute drugs. It has to go through this PBM model. You've had a lot of consolidation, health insurer and PBM. And basically the ability to distribute drugs directly to the consumer has been obfuscated. And those distribution channels have been locked down and under immense consolidation, which means that if you're a manufacturer and you want to try and sell direct, let's say you're a smaller manufacturer, you can't, right? You'll be cut off from like the P none of the PBMs will work with you. And so the PBMs were the ones that were actually trying to cut off PillPack. You know, PillPack wasn't able to, to buy directly from the manufacturer. The PBMs control that source of supply. So then enter Amazon buying PillPack. Okay, you know, the PBMs can't shut off PillPack now. It's Amazon. But PillPack is still going through, pretty sure, a PBM. They just now can't get throttled, which is what was going to happen or what was almost happening pre the Amazon acquisition. So long story short, I think this Amazon, uh, this uh, one medical acquisition just gives Amazon more ability to potentially break into the PBM market, could Amazon become its own PBM? That would be game-changing. And could Amazon now go directly to the manufacturers? Ooh. If I'm, if I'm a PBM, like that question, chills, right? Like I'm like, I'm just pissed that I would even suggest that. That's kind of the thing that's not mentioned is the big thing with the PBMs is that they tout their ability to get drugs within, you know, five miles of 90% of Americans, right? I think this one medical thing just gives Amazon more leverage, more ability. If, if they can actually crack that PBM nut, that is worth way more than the like $5 billion that they're in between PillPack 
in one medical acquisitions. That's a huge breakthrough. And that's not even what's talked about, right? Like they could justify, I think, these acquisitions um, without even without even the PBM. That that to me is, I mean, you could say it's icing on the cake, but it's like another whole cake. There's the cake of all the stuff I've talked about, right? Healthcare and tech stack to deliver the care. Yet, and then there's the PBM stuff, which not even really talking. You go read the press releases on this one, but no one's even really talking about the PBM thing. But the PBM thing is the massive underbelly and why you see these crazy prices. You know, you look at the list price of a drug on the shelf in CVS, you use your insurance card, and like 80% of the cost goes away. That only happens because of PBM mania and this ultra consolidation in the distribution channel of these drugs. How much do CEOs matter right now? A lot. And, and that's all, honestly, that is why I don't like Google and Apple as much as I like the other three. I, I don't think that, um, that Kim and uh, Sundar have, have been as innovative and as progressive on growth and investing in new disruptive, uh, new digital business models as, as the other CEOs. Um, look at Andy Jassy, right? And, and how they're leaning in on healthcare. Look at Google and Apple's inability to really make it happen in healthcare um, versus some of the other players in the field. Mm. That is, 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 a, is honestly one of the biggest reasons why I'm more bullish on those three and less bullish on, on those two, Google and Apple. In that interview on Bloomberg, right, I mentioned that Tim Cook and Sundar are not innovating, right? And I use healthcare as an example. And so let's look at healthcare. Yes, Apple has been doing stuff with Apple Watch to get into healthcare, uh, doing this like EKG through the Apple Watch and that kind of stuff. That's product innovation, right? What I'm talking about is business model innovation. What is the new business model in healthcare that is going to materially move forward the company and create an entirely new growth vector for, for, for the platform monopoly? Google buys uh, Fitbit, which was kind of like catching a falling dagger. Like, I don't know, Fitbit wasn't killing it and really just kind of kept them competitive with what Apple was doing with the Apple Watch, right? And that was a few years ago, uh, November 2019. Then you have Google Cloud making moves into healthcare, doing deals with the Mayo Clinic and, and other healthcare providers to be their cloud infrastructure provider. But again, not a new business model, really just taking Google Cloud and saying, hey, we're going to expand into the vertical called healthcare. But same business model of Google Cloud, just trying to build out that vertical specific expertise, which makes sense. But that's that's just Google Cloud. That's not like a new business endeavor in healthcare. Then Google's um, head of healthcare, uh, David Feinberg, who is running that whole unit for a few years, he just left last year. They shut down Google Health. David Feinberg goes over to run Cerner. Okay, pause there. Then you got Apple lumbering along doing the EKG. Okay, fine. But who's actually innovating in healthcare as a big tech monopoly, right? Here comes along Amazon, buying One Medical, making moves with Amazon Care, buying PillPack a few years ago, right? You can see Amazon with the steady drumbeat of 
doing some M&A, doing some stuff in-house, Amazon Care, trying the thing with Berkshire and JP Morgan that fails, right? Like it doesn't all work, but they're, they're trying stuff, right? Okay, they lost 30, 40 million dollars in the JV with Berkshire, big deal. Buying One Medical has its own proprietary tech stack. We just did a video, go check out that video, analyzing the Amazon One Medical deal. So a Amazon making moves into healthcare, right? And then, and then what happens? So David Feinberg leaves Google, goes to Cerner, like literally two months later, Oracle buys Cerner. Now David Feinberg, who was running before Google Health, Feinberg was running one of the biggest healthcare systems in the country, right? So guy understands healthcare inside and out, goes to Google Health, gets Sunset, Cerner, boom, now he's at Oracle. So you line up an Amazon and an Oracle and you say, wow, okay, yeah, like that's, that's real business model innovation. These guys are making moves, they're making bets. May not work, but if it does work, could reap huge, entirely new growth vectors for the overall enterprise, right? And then you say Apple and Google, kind of like just making incremental steps, losing leaders, product innovation at best. That's what I'm talking about in terms of disruptive, innovative leadership, which comes top down from the CEO. And you're seeing that at not Apple and Google, and you're seeing that at Amazon, you're seeing that at Facebook, they literally changed their name to Meta and like are all in on this thing called the metaverse. I don't know, does it work or not? I don't know, but they're taking the risks, right? Um, and then Microsoft, right? Look at, look at Microsoft, probably having one of the best performances in their earnings out of FAMGA. Facebook changing their name really messes with that whole acronym, by the way. Um, but anyway, Microsoft would not be in the position to, to, lead, you know, to, to be making the gains that they are if they weren't embracing business model innovation and getting into completely new vectors. Um, and Microsoft takes chances too. Mixer, right? The deal with Ninja failed. But you see them making moves. Uh, you just don't see that similar kind of activity out of Apple and Google, and it starts with CEOs. Time machine time. Rewind the clock. Wish we could rewind the clock like a few decades. Wouldn't that be nice? We're rewinding the clock, unfortunately, only just a few months here. But we're going back to September of 2021. And we've got this article that says, what Twitter's $809 million legal settlement tells us. Hmm, why would Twitter need to settle for $800 million? Why would they need to do that? Seems like a lot of money, right? It is a lot of money. It's actually 10% of the cash they had on their balance sheet. Twitter's like, I don't know, kind of break even. Like they make 500 million one quarter. They lose 270 the next quarter. They make 180 one quarter. They lose 500, right? Like not really. They're not really making money or losing money. It's kind of just, I don't know. This whole, this whole company is just like in limbo. Um, but anyway, so you pay $800 million. That's a lot of money. And why would you need to do that? Oh, well, this shareholder lawsuit, which alleged that top executives at Twitter misled investors with overly optimistic statements about user growth. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. So like misreporting the number of spam bots and spam users and, and monetizable daily active users, like, do you think that would also count about misleading investors with overly optimistic statements about user growth? 
Hmm, maybe. The lawsuit cited in late 2014 that its product roadmap positioned Twitter to double its monthly active users to 550 million in the immediate in the intermediate term and to a billion over the long term. When an earnings report a couple of months later showed growth slowing, Twitter executives reassured investors that growth would soon pick up again. Assurances that became a focus of the lawsuit. Uh, instead, growth continued to slow, setting the stock price tanking. Measuring the accuracy of those 2014 projections is impossible, however, because Twitter stopped reporting <laughs> monthly active users in 2019. But judging from its daily active user count, what we know about the ratio of DAUs to MAUs, Twitter likely still hasn't reached the projection, the projected 550 million number, especially when it now comes out that they don't have less than 5% spam users. They possibly have more than 20% spam users. Can you smell another class action lawsuit? I can. Yep. Right over here. Yep. Class action lawsuit, Twitter. Now, I think the lawyers are chomping at the bit to sue the living bejesus out of Twitter. Um, but in order to properly file a lawsuit, you need to claim damages. You kind of need this whole saga to complete its cycle with Elon and what actually happens here. Does he actually acquire it? At what price? You know, if that price is, is lower than his initial offer, which if he were ever to acquire it, it absolutely will be lower, then you know that there's going to be lawsuits flying and saying, hey, you know, Twitter shareholders were owed the full acquisition price, but management misled investors about, oh, what? Oh, 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 yeah, user growth. Oh, and hey, judge, um, there's precedent on this. They paid $800 million a year ago, judge, September of 2021, for the same issue. Hmm. So why do I enjoy this, Alex? Because you're sick, Alex. Um, you're vindictive. Well, no, I just don't like communists. The level of censorship on these content platforms is completely unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. And Twitter is the worst violator. So yeah, don't like Twitter. And the way Twitter has behaved and the kind of like normalization of content censorship that they've helped to bring about into this country and the world and how you conduct your content platform, completely unacceptable. So yes, I enjoy every single second and every future second of Twitter getting pummeled. And I cannot wait for the class action lawsuit. And it's well-deserved. Another little way back time machine. Uh, we've got a beautiful little tweet from Jim Cramer here. April, 2021. We like Coinbase to 475. What's Coinbase at today, you ask? Great question. 62. 62 is the magic number, long ways away from 475. Coinbase actually made it to, they peaked at um, 357. That was in November, 2021. So in April, in April, 21, it was when they IPO'd um, that Kramer was predicting this. And, you know, they IPO'd at 342. They ended up getting to, you know, back to, a little bit above that um, in November. But, you know, Kramer basically saying an IPO, hey, we think Coinbase goes to 475. Would you we did a great video on this. Go check out that video. Basically saying Coinbase had a 100x revenue multiple at IPO, valued at like $100 billion. They're doing like a billion dollars in revenue. I'm talking about how they're not a platform business model. They are a linear 
technology-enabled service provider like Robinhood. So go check out that video in our Wayback Time Machine. We were calling it then, proven correct, just like our call on recession, just like our call on inflation not being transitory. Yeah, Coinbase is 62. Coinbase is 62. Um, far, far away from 475. Just it's all these, I guess, smart people got so hot, hopped up in the mania of it all. And just, yeah, you, you know, yeah, you print $10 trillion, things are going to go a little bit screwy. But Jim Cramer is not alone. You, you know, you had these um, emails from CB Insights. This one's December 2021. And, and basically, you read, the, uh, you read the narrative around this, and these are the uh, most active VC investor rankings on a quarterly basis, right? And so you read this narrative and the copy, and it's, I mean, it's, it's a straight-up competition. Who can do more deals, right? And it's saying, oh, Sequoia Capital China uh, dethroned, it's actually the the name of this email newsletter send was like dethroning Tiger Global. That Sequoia Capital China invested in 96 companies and they dethroned Tiger from the top notch and had 86, you know, and Tiger had 86 deals in Q3 of 2021. You know, if you're on these rankings, you know, you are not happy you're on these rankings in Q3 of 2021. That was like maybe one quarter shy of peak mania. And you read this, right? And it's like, Oh, in Q4 21 so far, however, Sequoia Capital China's pace has dipped below Tiger, but both continue to be going at breakneck speed to finish the year strong. Like finish the year strong. Like how about finish the year investing at the peak of what is about to be a crash, right? Like, but you can see when you're when you're in the moment and everyone's doing deals, it's just, just this herd mentality, right? That everything's going up. Uh, we saw this in in uh, in crypto. We saw this in NFTs. Go check out our video I did on NFTs, where I said, "Yeah, I mean, I bought an NFT and I made like four x my money on the NFT." But I but I said, "Don't go do this because it's a straight up scam. It's a Ponzi." Go check out that video. Um, just people, yeah, I don't know, just losing rational thinking and and getting like emotional. Absolutely was a big factor. If you look at what happened these past 18 months, where valuations were and just what are very smart people, but and I bet you if you ask them now behind closed doors, they're not going to say this publicly. They're regretting a lot of these decisions. Yeah, that that mania is real. That's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thank you very much for joining us. As always, stay tuned, hit subscribe. I'll talk to you soon.